uh, turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This has always been one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John. And, and actually, over the last couple of weeks, um, this has uh, been very prominent in my mind and in my thinking. Uh, and I, that's why I just knew I needed to, to, to preach on it. Uh, so we're going to pick up in chapter 21. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus appears, from them, appears to them. They've gone up to Galilee to do some fishing, as you do. Uh, and uh, Jesus comes and says, hey guys, you know, to cast, cast your net on the other side. And they do, and they catch a bunch of fish, and they come in, uh, and they have breakfast uh, together, uh, and because they all know it's Jesus. And so they're happy and joyful and having a good time together. Uh, and we pick up the story there. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to, uh, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, by the way, the guy who's writing this. Uh, following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die Yet Jesus did not say to him that he, did not, would, that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Such a great story. Uh, I, I really love uh, this whole encounter uh, and one of my other favorite stories um, about, actually it's a, a preacher, uh, kind of a, a preacher story, uh, is about uh, a bunch of preachers that were trained at a certain seminary in the United States. And uh, you always knew uh, if a pastor had been trained at the seminary because they, they'd get really excited. And when they got really excited in worship, uh, really excited in preaching, they'd always stick their hand uh, up to their ear like this as they were preaching. 
and you know that that was kind of kind of strange. Uh, but then uh, a guy was looking into this, and he discovered that the seminary professor that taught the preaching course, when he would preach, he would always, when he got really excited, he'd put his ear, his hand up to his ear like this. And so the guy asked the seminary professor, he said, why do you do that? And he said, well, I do it because when I start preaching really loudly, I can't really hear myself, and so I need to put my hand up to my ear so I can hear myself. Now, the funny thing was, obviously, all these preachers had been putting their hand up to their ear for for why? They were just being copycats. Uh, You know, they're copycat churches, they're copycat ministries, uh, they're copycat leaders. And and frankly, this is not only in the realm of church, uh, but it's also in the realm of business. I mean, look at these pictures here. Uh, You see these four uh, different pictures. Uh, No, they're not pictures of rock concerts. They're all pictures of worship services. Now let's look at the other set. Here's four more. And they're all pictures of worship services. Uh, And I I tell you, going back through it, even though I compiled these, there's only one of these that I could tell you what church it's from uh, because the the picture incorporates part of their church logo. Uh, For the rest of them, and I have a good idea about another one, Uh, For the rest of them, now these are eight churches, totally different churches. None of them are related by denomination. So they're not like eight churches from the same denomination. Uh, So they're eight very different churches uh, from two different continents and representing different kinds of churchmanship. Uh, In other words, they have different theological backgrounds, different heritages, different ways of doing church, and things like that. And yet, every single one of them look exactly the same. And that's a challenge. Uh, if you go back 40 years, you wouldn't see any of these, uh, in any, any service that looked like this, although you would see quite a number of services that looked quite similar. If you go back 100 years, uh, you'll start to see a little bit more diversity amongst churches, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of one, a lot of them who copy off one another. Now, I don't know that God did or did not tell each one of those churches to uh, uh, to organize their worship service like that. Um, I do know one of the churches personally uh, in these pictures, uh, and I'm pretty sure that they were doing. They set up their worship to copy off another kind of church because that church was popular. Uh, and that was a way to attract people and to draw people in. Now, in saying this, I'm not judging these as good or bad. Uh, that's not my role. Uh, I'm not the judge of the Lord's uh, other servants. Uh, I have enough to do to take care of myself. But what I am saying here with all of this is that so often uh, churches are just copying off of other churches. And we are looking around the world today and we've seen a movement where churches are copying off of one another uh, and we haven't been really asking the deep questions. Is what we're doing really from God? Is it something that God has actually told us to do? Or are we looking at what was effective in another context, maybe what drew young people to the church, uh, got people in the doors, uh, raised a little uh, extra money, uh, more giving, and now we're doing what they're doing, whether or not it's commanded by the Lord. 
And this is a very, very big issue in the body of Christ globally. And I believe that it's an issue that God is going to be disrupting uh, in this season that we've been in. I said last week, probably since uh, uh, 2001, a season of global change and disruption that certainly includes the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, And I wonder if church in the future is going to look like any of those pictures, uh, especially because if we have pandemics like this, we know that those kinds of crowds uh, are rather dangerous. Uh, And certainly the last six months has shown us that, uh, or the last few months have shown us that, as uh, many churches have been vectors for the uh, coronavirus. And so it's a real challenge for us. Uh, And the Lord's really been speaking to me about this for quite some time. In fact, back in the the early 1990s, I had this desire uh, to go and start a church uh, from a a certain uh, denominational group that was very popular, uh, very very influential at that time. Uh, And the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, Hey, Rod, don't idolize this particular church, this particular denomination. It does not represent the pinnacle of what I'm going to do in church, in the church, in your lifetime. But that's so often what we tend to do. We tend to look at other churches. We tend to uh, almost uh, desire what others are doing rather than desire what the Lord wants for us. And sometimes what others do uh, can seem much more appealing, and sometimes it's a lot easier Even recently, the Lord's been speaking to me. Back in March, the Lord asked me a question. He said, are you willing to do what I tell you even when all around you are doing something else? Are you willing to do what I tell you even when all around you are doing something else? That's a really challenging question, you know, because it's not easy to get out of step with what everybody else is doing. You know, it's not easy when I get to, together with uh, my, uh, my other church friends, people who I love. Uh, we're not in competition with each other, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at them. I'm looking how they do church. Uh, I'm looking at their successes and, and all of that. And there's part of me that says, you know, I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to experience that. I'd like to have that. But, you know, it's in that very context that the Lord asked me that question. And by the way, in case you want to know, I said, yes, Lord, I am willing to do what you tell me, even if everybody else is doing something else. And then even more recently, on the 22nd of May, these are all from my prayer journal, by the way, my prophetic journal, I sense the Lord saying this, stop focusing on what everyone else is doing. Stop focusing on what every other church is doing. This is handicapping you and putting your focus in the wrong place. Your focus must be on me. Those are challenging things when the Lord speaks them to us, uh, but it's very, very important. uh, And I want to take up that challenge. And I tell you, it's not easy, and I've spent my life uh, a bit doing that. But because we're in such a season, a season of change, a season of disruption, a season of innovation, a season of transition, and I'm talking here not only economically and politically, but also in terms of the church, We need to understand that we will never innovate. 
or we will never join God in his disruptive activity if we're following what others are doing. It will never happen. If we're looking at what others are doing, concentrating on what they're doing, we will never get to the place that God wants us to be. Uh, I love this uh, example in, in the world of business. Everybody knows of Netflix. Uh, it's one of the biggest companies in the world today, uh, making a lot of money. I wish I'd invested in Netflix about 20 years ago. Uh, I could pay for the redevelopment of the building myself uh, if I'd done that. Uh, but uh, you may not remember this company called Blockbuster Video. Blockbuster Video. They had hundreds of shops across the United States. Um, it was a, a very large company. Uh, and what you did in Blockbuster, uh, they started when you had the video cassettes. Uh, you'd go in and you could rent a video cassette. And then when the DVDs came out, you could, you could rent, hire a DVD, bring it home. Uh, and then this upstart Netflix came on the scene uh, about 1998, and they had the idea, well, instead of going to the, the shop to pick up the video, let's send them DVDs through the post. Uh, and that seemed to be a pretty good business model, uh, and that started working. And a little bit later on, Netflix came up with the idea, you know, maybe instead of sending things through the post, maybe we should just allow people to stream, to, to stream those videos to download them online uh, for, you know, maybe a, a slight fee or a membership fee or something like that. And so they started to do that. But in, in the early noughties, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix. They could have bought Netflix, I think, for a relatively small amount, like $1 billion or something like that. Netflix's valuation is way, way, way more than that now. Uh, and this is what the CEO of Blockbuster Video said in December of 2008. Netflix is not on the radar screen in terms of competition. Boy, wasn't that foolish. You see, Netflix didn't focus on what others were doing. They focused on innovating, coming up with a different idea. Uh, and, at the, and, and for the Church of Jesus Christ, we can't really be focusing on what others are doing. And, and frankly, for a long time, churches have done that, and we need to go in a different way. And I think that that's the challenge of this story. You know, the, the thing I love about this story is that Jesus has just spoken to Peter. I mean, Peter's feeling a little rough now, you know, being asked three times, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Oy vey, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know everything that I love you. Uh, but that was important, and we're not preaching on that part of the story. But I love how then he and Jesus are walking along, and John, he likes to hang out because he really loved Jesus. And uh, for uh, there is reason to believe that John and Jesus were especially close. John was most likely the youngest of the 12 disciples that Jesus called. Uh, and so here's John hanging out. And Peter, I mean, he's just got a bit of a bruising. And then he says, basically, well, what about him? You know, so I'm expecting Peter now. I mean, Peter's just been told, hey, guy, when you get old, uh, you're going to get crucified. I mean, that's, that's basically what he's been told by Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, Peter is here. He's thinking, okay, well, maybe if I'm going to get crucified, maybe John will get crucified twice. You know, 
Something like that. If if I'm going to have to suffer, then he should have to suffer. You know, so what about this guy? And Jesus says, hey, what's that to you? You know, if he's not going to die, you know, that's okay. It's none of your business. What is it to you? Uh, You follow me. Don't pay attention to him. Don't even pay attention to what I'm doing with him. You follow me. Uh, And that's very powerful. And we need to take that into account because, frankly, all of the time we're asking, what about him? Now, it might be with somebody else in church that seems to be doing a bit better uh, than we are, or, or it might be another church, or if you're in the workplace, uh, you're, you're asking, you know, what about this person in the workplace? You know, God, what, I, I know you've blessed me, but what about this guy? He seems to be doing better than I am. We're asking these kinds of things all the time, uh, and we need to understand why we ask them. I mean, one, one reason we ask what about him all the time is our desire for fairness, Uh, But the problem is, we don't really know what fair is. Uh, There are too many variables. I I know my upbringing, uh, but uh, is it it fair for me to, uh, say, a a guy who was raised in, in in the same school that I was raised in, the same community, with the same background, but maybe uh, they don't have the same IQ level? Is it fair for us to take exactly the same exam if we don't have the same? Or what if that person, uh, we've been raised in the same place, uh, but uh, that person is an athlete and a great basketball player, uh, and I'm a klutz uh, and uh, the kind of guy that drops the basketball all the time, double dribbles, and causes all kinds of problems. Is it fair for us with unequal uh, athletic abilities? to be tested in the same way? The problem is we don't know the variables that are involved here. We don't know how to ask what fair is. Yet when we ask what about him, a lot of times what we're doing is that I want it fair, but what is fair? Uh, And the further problem is that we all tend to bias the word fair in light of our own self-interest. You know, so what's fair for me is that I get a little bit more than what I have now, or what's fair for me is that that person is brought down. Uh, But that's one of the reasons why we ask, what about him? Another reason we're always asking about what about him is our desire not to miss out on something better or, or that we think is going to be better. The problem here again is that we don't know what's better because we don't know the outcomes. You know, so maybe you think, wow, it's better uh, that I get a better car, uh, but you don't know that that car has a problem, and so you're out on the motorway, and suddenly the car uh, ceases to function. Maybe one of, one of the tires uh, uh, collapses, and you have an accident, and you die because you got that nice car. Now, that might sound ridiculous, but frankly, you don't know. None of us know the outcomes, and many times something that seems better can become a lot worse. You know, I've seen this with people who have affairs, you know, who think that that other person that's uh, getting them excited uh, would be better long term. Uh, Very, very seldom the case. Uh, We can go on and on and on. Uh, And we don't know what's better as well because we don't know all the variables that are at play there. 
And what may seem better for someone, someone else, is not better for us. But again, we don't know the variables that are going on there. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we're just asking the question, what about him? Uh, because we just want to keep our options open so that we don't miss what might be better. The problem is if you keep your options open all the time and you don't make a decision and you don't obey, you never get to what's really better in your life. Now, a third reason that we're always asking what about him is our sinfulness. You know, we, we covet more stuff. Uh, we envy other people's situations and circumstances. Uh, we're jealous of other people's relationships. Uh, and this sinfulness in our lives uh, actually distorts what might be better. It distorts our lives. Um, it distorts everything, and it draws our focus away from Jesus. So if these are in our hearts, the covetousness, uh, the envy, the jealousy, we need to repent and say, God, I, I cast that away. I set that aside. I turn away from it. Because frankly, if you're holding on to sinfulness in your heart, you will miss what's better. I guarantee. If you're holding on to it, you'll miss what's better. You'll miss what's better. So how can we then avoid this question what about him, and then get on with the great adventure that God has for us? I mean, that's really the key issue here. We need to stop saying, what about him? Stop looking at other people. Stop looking at other churches and say, God, what do you have for me to do? What do you have for us to do? Not what about him, but what are you going to do in us, through us? How do we follow you? How do we get to that place where what about him doesn't become such a prominent question in our lives. First of all, and we can learn this from Peter and the encounter with Jesus. First of all, we need to test our hearts to make sure that we really love Jesus above all else. We really need to test our hearts to make sure that we really love Jesus. I mean, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter, do you love me three times? Whenever anything happens three times in the Bible, that is an emphasis that you really need to pay attention to. It is a challenge. It is a testing. And that's exactly what Jesus did with Peter. But that's exactly what Jesus does with every single one of his disciples, including us. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me above all else? And let me tell you, if you don't test your heart, then Jesus will certainly test your heart. He'll test your heart uh, in different circumstances of life. Uh, he'll test your heart uh, in, uh, with your wealth, uh, with your relationships. Uh, I remember a slightly different area in terms of trusting the Lord uh, more than 20 years ago. I felt the Lord say, do you trust me? Three times as I was praying, and I said, well, yes, Lord, I do trust you. And within uh, a few weeks, uh, we had had so many little things happen in our lives that I thought we had a, a comfortable amount of money in the bank. It wasn't very much, but it was nice for us. And, and we ran out of most all of our money, all of our savings, uh, and we went through a very difficult season. And that was a test of our hearts. 
do we trust the Lord? Well, the Lord's replaced that and he's grown that and, and we're thankful for that. But the Lord does test our hearts. And we must remember that God often affronts us or scandalizes us to expose our hearts. So sometimes that means that other people do better than we do so God can expose our hearts. You know, sometimes that means that God delays in answering the deepest prayer that we have in order to expose our hearts. Uh, And many people get offended by God and they walk away from God uh, and that, you know, you'll, you'll never move forward in what God has for you. So the first thing is, we must test our hearts to make sure that we really love Jesus above all else. The second thing here is we need to know Jesus' central command on our lives, his key mission for us right now. Uh, and this is true both individually and corporately. In terms of Peter, Jesus said three times a version of, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Clearly, Jesus was saying to Peter, and this is what Peter did for the rest of his life, he focused on feeding God's sheep and growing healthy churches and helping them grow larger and healthier and become more effective. And that's what he did as an apostle as he traveled around. Uh, and so he, he knew in that moment what he was supposed to do with his life. He knew Jesus' central command on his life and, and he followed through with that. And that's true for each one of us. Now, sometimes Jesus' central command for us doesn't last our entire lives. I mean, it might be you have children and Jesus says, right now, my central command for you is to raise those children as vibrant disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's your focus and that's your mission and that's your priority Uh, And that happens, but then the day comes when those children grow up and they don't need you in the exact same way. And so Jesus might at that point in time shift that focus. Sometimes God gives us uh, a mission for a season that is designed to help us grow so that we're ready to do a bigger mission. And a lot of times we don't get to the bigger thing because we're not faithful in the smaller thing. Or we're saying, what about him? I'd rather do this. I'd rather do that. I'm convinced that this is a a real plague amongst a lot of pastors who like to skip from church to church and ministry job to ministry job, always looking for something else instead of really investing their lives where God has placed them. And that is a real challenge. The, The key issue here is if you love Jesus, then you will do what he tells you to do no matter what others are doing. You'll do what Jesus tells you to do, no matter what others are doing. And it's really hard. Let me tell you, I know this. If everybody is doing one thing and everybody says, oh, we need to go out on the street and evangelize, for example, and yet the Lord has told you, no, I don't want you to do that. Uh, I want you to pray to support those evangelizing. And God can say that. and then everybody else is going out, but you're staying behind and praying, you kind of say, well, maybe I should be going out too. But no, we need to do what God commands us to do. We need to make sure it's the Lord, but if we love Jesus, if we love Jesus, he will give us commands and we can follow those. Uh, another key dynamic here 
in order to do this, we must embrace and enjoy the assignment that God gives us. We need to embrace and enjoy the assignment that God gives us. At the same time, we need to resist the guilt, the shame, and frankly, the self-centered demands that others, including Satan, try to impose on us. Now, a lot of times we do something because we feel a little guilty or we feel ashamed, not realizing that most of the time those feelings are from the enemy, not from us. But Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And frankly, a lot of times people want, including Christians here, want to impose their self-serving demands or self-interested demands onto other people. You know, so somebody feels like they should have a, a watch in the prayer room. And so by golly, they're going to make you feel guilty until you come in and join them and do two hours in the prayer room, even though that's not what you feel God has called you to do. And so we allow others to impose this on us. And sometimes Satan does that to manipulate us uh, and to control us. So we must know Jesus' central command on your life, his key mission for you right now, for us as a church right now, uh, and get on with that and not ask what about him. That's a, a, another key dynamic. The third thing here is that we must count the cost knowing that it will cost everything. We must count the cost knowing that it will cost everything. It's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, hey, Peter, when you were a young guy, you could do whatever you want to do. But when you're old, another will carry you where you do not want to go. And we know that this was referring to how Peter would die, stretch out his hands. Peter was crucified. He was crucified upside down. Uh, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way. Uh, he, didn't deserve, he, felt he didn't deserve the honor to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. But this is a pretty, a pretty powerful thing and a pretty costly thing. And frankly, we need to count the cost because it's not easy being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, that person should take up his cross every day and follow me. Uh, so when we follow Jesus, we need to understand following Jesus will involve some things that we do not want to do. I think about that a lot in my life over the last 30, 30 years of serving the Lord full-time in ministry. There's been a lot of stuff that I didn't want to do, a lot of stuff that I didn't like to do, uh, but I had to do it. Um, we were set free in Jesus, but we were set free to serve Jesus and his people. So we have to obey Jesus' command to follow him wherever he leads. Like he said to Peter, Peter said, hey, what about him? And Jesus said, hey, that's none of your business. You follow me. That's what he had to do. That's what he had to do. Now, I really strongly believe that we have entered a new season of disruption, innovation, and change in the global church, as well as globally, generally. It could possibly be a new reformation. But I believe this new reformation is going to call us 
uh, to embrace some of the things in the early church while moving forward to what God has for us today, preparing the world for the, next, the second coming of Jesus Christ. God is shifting the church globally so that it might become more effective in reaching the lost, more effective at growing disciples, more resilient at weathering crises like financial crashes and and global pandemics, and more innovative for advancing God's kingdom into our workplaces and our communities. God is calling us at City Temple to be part of that. I don't know all the contours that it's going to take, but I know that it's going to be challenging and exciting and will bring glory and honor to Jesus. And God is calling you to be part of that as well. Wherever you are in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces, wherever you are, God is calling you to be part of this process. We must refuse to ask, what about him? And instead, we need to ask, what about us? Let's pray. Father God, we love you, we honor you, and we worship you. And we thank you for the amazing love that you have for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you'd surround us now in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to know what about us? What are you doing in us? What are you doing through us? Help us to see. Help us to know. Help us to believe all that you have for us right now and in the weeks, months, and years ahead. Now, Father, I pray that you'd surround us in the power of your Holy Spirit as we share the Lord's Supper together. I pray that you'd bless the bread and the cup that they would be for us truly, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross.